for as long as there's been humans, there's been this infatuation with superheroes. They take the form of demigods or mutants or people enhanced by science experiments or born with supernatural abilities, even aliens from other planets. The message is clear. They and they alone possess the abilities that we do not. They are uniquely qualified. They are the chosen few, the ones destined to take on the world's problems. They are the ones that can save us. And we project this onto humans, the billionaires of the world, the visionaries, the gurus. Please fix the problems, fix me. We love this idea, the idea that we are helpless, that we can't do anything to change the world. It's up to the obvious chosen few. It's their responsibility. And of course we do, because life is a handful without all the problems around us. Pay the bills, buy the groceries, keep our sanity. We're just regular humans. And yeah, we are just regular humans. But the world doesn't need superheroes. The world needs regular heroes. And I hate to break the news to you, but you're the hero. My name is Sam Lamont, and welcome to the How To Human Podcast. Simone. We always call it Simone. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Hey, Where everybody. I, oh, I was going to say. Okay. We'll do it again. You talk. All right. All right. Hey, everybody. We have a really special treat. We're in the basement of the comedy store. So yeah. if you hear some grumbling, people are having fun upstairs. That's cool. And Steve. Hi. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, no, that's a lie. I uh, I woke up just off like okay, completely off i'm really glad that i got to see some comedy and got to see you before i came here i feel like awesome. it snapped me out of it a little bit that's the greatest thing about comedy i hope that it works that it like makes you happier but um if it starts coming out i apologize in advance I don't apologize just keep it real so steve yes i, I stalked you okay how do you feel about that uh, honored? I guess I shouldn't say that because I don't encourage more stalking. Yeah. I think it's cool, man. I'm just happy to be on your show and I'm honored to be here. So uh, however you want to do this, let's do it. You appear on the surface mm -hmm. to be a good human, to be a good guy. I try. And your comedy, it's not that dark, cynical. It's just. I spent too many years doing that dark, cynical stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't really, I don't want to go back there. It seems like it's come full circle to that innocence of childhood. Yeah, there's, that's definitely part of it. Like rediscover, like, yeah, being joyful in the moment. I think, and I think that's like our life cycle, right? Like I was just, um, spent some time in like a retirement home, a rehab center for the elderly. And they're just little kids with better stories. You know <laughs> what I mean? They're awesome. Old people are my absolute favorite. Yeah. Yeah, but I think if you go through life, hopefully you'll rediscover the joy of just being in the moment like a little kid. Uh, so this is what we got to do this. Um, introduce yourself. Who are you? Give us the, the bio resume. Hi, uh, my name's Steve Simone. Uh, I'm a stand-up comic, um, podcaster, writer, hope, starting to produce some stuff, hopefully some life-affirming type entertainment that's what i'm doing <laughs> i feel <laughs> we were having the most natural conversation and now that i know it's being recorded i'm like so how are you getting nervous i feel like that every time <laughs> like, I, um... there's nothing better than that point where you forget that you're being recorded all right it's a different moment in every podcast but you're like oh okay now we're just connecting and this is a real talk real conversation my first episode was straight up npr it was sam <laughs> hello this is sam um it was it was just complete monotone clean lots of editing and retakes and so the goal is just to get more and more comfortable yes so if you've listened to all three it's gonna get better with yeah. time it will. it's the same thing with comedy like the philosophy of the comedy store. And I show it to all young comics that show up here. And they're like, hey, how do you become a part of this place? So I try to explain the rules of the game here as much as I can, be as inviting and kind as possible. But Mitzi Shore, the owner of the club, has essentially her philosophy of comedy 
right in that room you just were. You have to walk by it to go into the room. It's painted on the wall underneath the ticket booth. It says, Monday night is potluck night. That means anybody with, with the desire can have three minutes on stage. That doesn't mean you need to be funny in three minutes, but you need to be you in three minutes. And that's her whole philosophy of comedy. Just be you. And I think that's a great philosophy of life. Yeah. And it's a goal, too. It's, it's a hard. great goal. It, it, Isn't it weird that it takes practice to do that? It is hard yeah. to be you. Yep. Stand-up comedy. Yeah, it's the coolest thing in the world. How'd you get here? Like, how dare you try and be a stand-up comic? It, you know, who who gave you permission? That's exactly... It's so funny you say that. I had all those thoughts in my head. Like, I thought you had to be born different. Like, I, I thought that no way a kid that grew up in the boring suburbs of Philadelphia to parents that were teachers was allowed to do something that different with my life. Even though my whole life, everybody said, when you grow up, you can be anything you want. Just work hard. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it's like you graduate from college and everybody's like, well, when are you going to get a job? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yesterday, I was this ball of potential that could do whatever I wanted to do. And now you're just saying get a job. I progressively got more and more miserable to where I felt like just packing up my little belongings that I had and just driving in a car to California was my only option. Adulthood is the second finding out Santa Claus isn't real. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then something cool really happens and you find out like maybe Santa Claus is real. They are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think it's like you keep on digging, right? And you're like, okay, everything's fine. And then you get a little more mature and you're like, oh my God, everything's miserable. And my advice is keep on digging until you find the joy. Because if you keep on going through the layers, you Shawshank it. Chip away, chip away, chip away. And then eventually you're like, oh my God, everything is awesome. Santa Claus is real. Like I could tell you a story right now where I kind of believe the essence of Santa is real. Because I, I experienced it as an adult two years ago. Where there was, it was a Christmas miracle. Let's go. All right. I was spending some time at Children's Hospital here in Los Angeles. And I came into contact with some families that were uh, experiencing hardship nobody should ever, ever have to experience. One of the kids was not only battling cancer, but his family was, um, they were so poor they couldn't afford gas to pay for gas to come visit their son in the hospital. So my friend, he was a, he was a teenager, and he, um, he was like kind of like the mascot of Children's Hospital because he was like over six feet tall and was always smiling and since his family couldn't come visit him, he would go visit all the other kids. So I met this teenager at a blood drive and we became friends and he became friends with all my comedian friends. And we found out that his family was going to be homeless. And that's why he was extra depressed. He was like, as soon as I get out of the hospital, there's no place for me to go. And I was like, okay, we're gonna have to we're going to find you guys in a new apartment or a house. And then there was another little boy I had gotten very close with that um, needed a second bone marrow transplant. And he was going to be spent. He was only four at the time. And he was going to be spending Christmas in the hospital. And uh, I'm, I'm just some dude, man. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not make a wish. I'm not the St. Jude. I'm just some guy that went to the hospital for a blood drive, met some cool people there. And then next thing you know, I'm trying to help and that's it and i i had booked a week of comedy on the road because i'm at the point in my career where when somebody offers a gig i say yes so i was booked at the mall of america rick bronson's club in minneapolis i didn't realize it was thanksgiving and you have there's a whole other level of holiday depression when you're in a stinky motel by yourself eating your thanksgiving dinner and it's chinese food at the mall of america uh food court and you have to wait for them to open. So I was, uh, it just dawned on me like, oh, okay, tomorrow's Black Friday. I had had some success with social media, uh, leveraging friends, relationships, wherever they might work. So I had about a couple hundred bucks that I was willing to spend. And a podcast listener just was like, hey, I want to give you a couple of dollars to prove, to show my kids that giving is more important than receiving. I hope you can use this to uh, buy some of your buddies at the hospital some toys. So I thought I was gonna get like 25 bucks. This lady sent like $300. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can buy the four-year-old, the game system that he wants now. So I just shared on social media, does anybody have like a hookup with uh, Xbox? 
because this kid wanted an Xbox. So I'm thinking like maybe somebody could work at Toys R Us or maybe they work for Sony and maybe get an employee discount. The the Italian deli I go to, Carlo at uh, Domingo's Italian Deli in Encino shoots me a text. He goes, buddy, I just ordered you two Xboxes for the kids. So now I'm like, I don't even have to buy the Xbox. So then people started going, hey, can we just give you money to go buy the Xbox? Then I got a phone call from my buddy Andrew that produces Bill Burr's podcast. And he was like, because Bill's like my comedy hero. I think he's amazing. And uh, he goes, Bill is not a fan of traditional charities. And he knows that whatever money you would raise, it's going to go straight to the families. He wants you to put together a GoFundMe to get these kids some Christmas gifts. And I was like, okay. So my goal was $2,000. I figure we could take 1000 bucks and give it to the one family to get into a new apartment and another 1000 bucks to go spoil the other little kid. And then I'll just get some money from my friends and we'll give it to the family to buy stuff for their new house. Within a week, we raised over $16,000 with Bill Burr's help. And then that just steamrolled. And it all started with this concept of Santa Steve. So I'm like, dude, that was a Christmas miracle. We got a family, they got a new home out of it. We wound up giving them like you know, over $10,000 for everything. It was incredible. They paid rent. Yeah, we got them in there, you know? we They got food for Christmas. They had all the toys they wanted. They got, Santa's real. I didn't do that. You know what I mean? Like that really happened. I, I was trying to figure out when I was looking at your social media, it like, it's your comedy page. It's your professional. Yeah, I guess. Page. But rather than, hey, tonight I'm doing this. Tomorrow I'm doing that. Look, I just got a mug that came out. You write the, right. the normal kind of stuff you write on professional page. It's like, Hey, I'm going to be playing the set and then five things people can donate to <laughs> that, that are cherries. <laughs> this is so, so unprofessional. <laughs> well, there's going to be a new, cause we're going to do the GoFundMe again. We're doing the Santa yeah. Steve fund again. And you're that guy. When we were hanging outside before this, yep. some guy said, Hey, I got a great opportunity. We have the studio open. There's going to be, you know. Yeah. People. My buddy Teebs. Yeah. There's going to be people who are impressive. Bring one of your kids, bring one of the guys. Yep. And you're instantly like, oh, yeah, is it wheelchair accessible? I got this. Did you stage that? No. Okay. All right. No, but I've. that's one of the things I love about life. Like, it's that simple. That as soon as you sort of, like, try to help, the universe or God or humanity reaches out and makes that easier. Like, I don't do anything special. I just I have a lot of really cool friends. And people are amazing. And everybody wants to help. Everybody deep down really does want to help. It's just cool how sometimes opportunities present themselves where then people can be the person they want to be. You know, they get to be the good guy. Yeah. The North Bay uh, had a huge fire earlier this year. Mm. And I was in Denver flying back to San Francisco and the plane was eight hours delayed, five hours delayed, something like that. Oh, right. Because there was smoke on the runway. My God. It's hard to feel sorry for yourself when the reason your plane is delayed is the remains of people's houses. Exactly. Uh, so on the way back, uh, before I got on the plane, I sent a post out to Facebook. There was like some way to kind of volunteer whatever services you had. Awesome. And I said, I got a truck, I got a little muscle, and I got some credit on the credit card. Tell me where you need me. Oh, that's awesome. And when I landed, there was a ton of shelters. And it was like, uh, we need water. And one place was like, we need as much cream cheese as you can get. Somebody, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, somebody donated enough bagels like forever we need cream cheese to make it a meal oh that's awesome and it came from i mean it was two part it was one my mom's always said if you're feeling broke give more away yes like it's an instant cure for sure i also thought well it's going to make a good story right for hello humans and yep. um this program the website everything's audience funded and there's a real chance that it's not everlasting like that's just part of life yeah whether you're going for your dream or starting anything new yeah a real a real thing is this might not work out in the end sure and i just kind of thought well you know like hello humans has a little bit of money it has a business credit card and i think this is a legit business expense that is awesome when i wrote the story that was the most increase in patronage we've we've gotten and so now it's like okay physical giving is a legit business ex expense yeah you know? it, it, there's something like, magical about it like it's real like i'd uh whatever you want give it away that's i i live by that philosophy whatever it is like whether it's 
clothes, you're like, oh, I need a new wardrobe, give away your stuff. Whether it's a smile, smile at somebody else, you'll get one back. If it's love, just love. You want friends, be a good friend. And it's definitely true with money. Yeah. Because there's like, I think what holds us all back is fear, right? Fear is a very powerful thing. And um, I know that's like at times where I'd be like, well, I'd like to give more, but I need this for myself. But now I'm just like, yeah, take it. I know I'm universe is going to take care of me. I'm good. I'm not yeah. even worried about it. And it's always worked. Always. Yeah. I've been feeling broke. And I've also, at the same time of feeling completely broke, um, had this itch to just like give. Yes. And so everyone, the, the waitress tonight has been getting like a $20 tip on like an $8 <laughs> bill. <laughs> You're like great. Sinatra in 67. <laughs> yeah. Swing well, baby. Well, it's like, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going for broke, you know, like literally. Um, and today there was a funny moment where, um, this homeless guy came up and kind of mumbled something. I could tell he was asking for cash, but I couldn't quite. Right. And so I reached in my po- pocket, thought about giving him a 20. Yep. But I gave him a one. Yep. And then at the same time, a $10 bill fell on the ground. And we both look at it and look back up at each other. That's a right? scene in a movie. What did you do? Well, I just was like, I mean, there was a standoff where it was yeah. like, mm. are you going to get that $10 or do I get it back? And I was just like, go for it. Take it. And he took it, and then, like, literally five minutes later, I'm sitting at a table alone with uh, Cold Brew, listening okay. to a podcast, and this guy comes up, sits down, mm-hmm. like, at a two-person table. He okay. sits down, and he's just like, hi. And he start, we just start talking, and he's talking to me like I'm a friend. Okay. And um, it was nice. I pulled out my headphones. Yeah. We started talking. At the end, he said, I could tell you from out of town, and, like, I'm just a, a temporary friend. You know, like that's hysterical. I, I could tell you were here alone. I could tell you're from out of town. Like, I'm just a loner friend. Like, I just I just came to, like, give you some time. Wow. And it was ama- I instantly wrote to Facebook like this just happened. Uh, I wonder if he was your guardian angel. Something. Yeah, that's so cool. That's cool. He was with his girlfriend. And so he wasn't like some creep. Like, no. isn't that awful that like when somebody's kind and compassionate, you're like, whoa, 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 what's their angle here? Am I going to get chopped up and thrown into a, a suitcase? Yeah. It's terrible. Before but people I are amazing. A, before people are I so had cool. a, a kid, that's why I felt like being nice to any kid. It's mm-hmm. like, they're going to think I'm a perv, right? Like, that's kind of... Yeah, you can't smile anymore. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's, it's we, we have to get back to just caring about each other. I really think society's gotten so lost. That's the word I'll use, lost. Where it's just like, let's just put politics to the side for a second, just interact with each other as human beings and realize we belong to each other and form communities. You know what I mean? Like we're, you matter just because you exist. Cause that's the truth. This guy definitely has done it before. He was polished. His girlfriend saw him sit down and go, Oh, here he goes again. You know, <laughs> here like, goes Larry. And so I don't know what the, the technique is to find out if you're going to be a nuisance or not. But Dude, um, honestly, one of my, I used to live in Santa Monica and there's so many homeless people there. Uh, that I started, I don't want this to come off as like, I'm trying to be a smart ass, but like comedically I would say we're, cause I talked about it on stage a few times. I, but the p- premise was this. I think the best thing you can give somebody that's homeless is their humanity. You know what I mean? Because we just walk by people and pretend they don't exist. And I think that's just another manifestation of fear where you go, that could be me or that could be somebody I care about. So let's not even pretend it exists. Let's just completely ignore it. Keep the earphones in. Keep walking. Yes, no don't make eye, eye contact. contact. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I started to do is I started to play a game called we're both going to pretend you're not homeless. So I would just interact with homeless people like they were my friend. Like I remember once, it, it just happened organically once, there was a guy wearing a Dodgers t-shirt. I'm like, dude, did you see the game last night? And he was like, what, M- Me? I'm like, yeah, did you see that in the fourth inning? He was like, the double play? And we just started to talk. And we just started to talk about baseball. And in that seven minutes, he got a vacation from being homeless. And he was just a human being. And I remember uh, seeing his eye, like the the energy in his eyes change. And he was like, I don't know if this is going to break my new friendship. You know what I mean? Like he was like, I got, he was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm living on the street. And then I didn't know how to play it. 
I didn't want to be like, yeah, I knew that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know it was like a Seinfeld episode. But the coolest thing was just like grabbing a bite to eat with that guy, hanging out and just being like, you're just a person. I'm just a person. You're in the circumstance now and it can get better. I lived but, in a truck for like a month uh, in between. How did that change your life? Well, I, I definitely can relate to. Right? Isn't that the best thing about suffering? Yeah. It makes you more compassionate. You're totally. like, oh, yeah, I know that is me. That's just another reflection of me that i've been there well it's the same with being a just complete i'm i'm an ex drug addict like horrible drug addict not like cute preppy do some cocaine drugs like hard drugs and how did you bounce back from the horrors of that that's tough it's it's two-part and um not all of it i can say here gotcha um but i caused serious wreckage Mm. um i mean for me it took almost losing my life Mm. almost taking someone else's life jesus i'm just gonna speak vague yeah sure of course um there are things that i did that i still try and make amends for sure every day um and i mean the biggest consequences you can think of. I felt like I was going to lose my kid. Um, My mom was ready to disown me. Mm. I mean, she was basically, she's in recovery and she was like, Oh yeah, I've been there too. Good luck. I hope you make it, you know, but she wasn't like trying to save me or like, yeah, let me pay your rent. Let me take it to another rehab. Yeah. So what do you think made you, you obviously had to want a better version of yourself, right? Like after everything you lost or as dark as it got, was there that glimmer of hope still? Is that what got you through? No. I wish it was admirable like that. Yeah. Okay. So what actually happened is um, <clears throat> I, I was escaping something. Sure. I Like I, we talked earlier, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. Yep. And feel I was a sensitive kid. So like feeling yes. is like the worst possible thing. I just wanted to escape it. Yeah. You know, I got into drugs, not as like a party party. I got into drugs for a competitive edge. It was like performance enhancing drugs in the beginning. Wow. You know, amphetamines and, uh, you know, like Adderall at first, like yeah. cute college kid dropped out of college, you know, and it just became straight up amphetamines, no longer prescription. And um, I caused seriously serious bodily harm to someone. Mm. Things were really bad. Yeah. And, you know, there was... A private investigator following me. They were trying to make a case. It was a big deal. Yeah. But the young man that I hurt Mm -hmm. got sober. And then it turned out that the private investigator was also in recovery. So the PI started sponsoring this this guy. And then the guy made it clear that he didn't want me to go to prison. And so... I didn't really appreciate it at the time. That's like, I should be in prison for who knows how bad that could have gotten. It could have been decades. I don't know. But I thought he was a real scumbag and his life started to get better. And it was almost, I was almost jealous. Like Mm. you don't deserve a good life. You fucking asshole. And so I felt like I should have a good life too. And so I got sober and there's a lot of other stuff that, yeah, there's a lot of other things that kind of played into that. Uh, I had a, uh, there was a, a neighbor down the hallway who would just hang out and like, I'd run to the bathroom, get high, come back out and pretend to be like a normal person. And, um, she knew she was onto me. And one day she also said like, this is how I got into recovery. She said, Hey, I, I think I'm an alcoholic. I need to get into recovery. And my mom's in recovery, so I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Like, it's great. It's going to change your life. And meanwhile, I'm getting high in the bathroom. And um, I, I took her uh, to, like, a support group. And I went with her for six months. And then I decided, oh, you know, I got a court case coming up. I got custody coming up. Yeah. Uh, the scumbag's having a better life. Maybe I'll just do it. You know, I'll get, a, I'll get sober. I'll get a sponsor. sponsor. Sponsor will come to court for me. That's awesome. So I got to work the steps yep. real good. Yep. To, so he testified. So you had real all good. these ulterior <laughs> motives. Yeah. That, 
I love how life works, though. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to do it for a year. That's all I need. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm back to being miserable. Then I'm back to being miserable. And um, by the end of the year, there was my life was just not even close to the same. So it just kind of I like faked it. And then it just happened. Like, That's so awesome. I, w- I worked at it really hard, but it wasn't for me. It was for like my freedom. And then uh, eventually um, this neighbor went to college. Some- she got accepted somewhere, moved to New York. And I called her like, hey, how's it going? You still sober? And she's like, I'm not an alcoholic. She just loved you that much. Yeah, I was just sick of watching you kill yourself. So it's a crazy. People, man. Yeah, it's a crazy Dude, story. That's the best story it's so like there's so many it's awesome it's just so so cool because like i feel you have such great energy such positive energy such like the best people i have this belief the brightest lights have been through the darkest times you know what i mean and it just makes people better suffering is almost like it's like exercise for your soul it like makes it stronger and more compassionate and more loving and more kind and i hate that we have to go through it but if you find your way through that darkness, I've said it a thousand times, always the coolest, coolest, coolest people. Always. That's such a great, that's awesome. How cool is the guy that you thought was a scumbag that was like, I don't want to press charges? He invited me to his wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I love God. Dude, that's so awesome. Yeah. That's so, so great. Yeah, it was it was strange to be there. I mean, he came and uh, said sorry to me first. Wow. He's like, I'm sorry I stole from you and put you in that position. And I was like, I'm sorry I tortured you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love life, man. Yeah, we're friends. He has a family now. It's so cool. It's a trip. It's a real trip. Life is amazing. Okay, so what I see with what your life has, it seems like you stumbled into kind of being this guy who raises money for various causes yeah that was not that just happened and then it seems like a lot of people in your life and i hope just a lot of people were like waiting for something good to come you know where it's like man oh you're a conduit okay cool let me help yeah for sure yes yeah because people just i think this one of the saddest things about the world and our current society is it's so easy to do the wrong thing right it's the easiest thing in the world to be selfish or or to get high like everything is so easy to do that all the things that don't make you happy but to do the right thing somehow there's always a challenge there's always a wall and i'm just trying to be a bridge between people that need help and people that want to help does that make sense so yeah, I got involved after that GoFundMe thing went so well. My buddy Raul at Children's Hospital just started to tell us about more families down there that needed help. Then I met this great guy, uh, John McNichol, that started a nonprofit called Regular Hero. And like his whole philosophy was, you don't need to be a superhero to do the right thing. You could just be a regular hero. And they just empower people to make a positive impact from I, I, I th- last time I talked to John was a few days ago. I think he told me, and I might, because it's weird whenever you're having a podcast, I don't want people to like fact check and be like, this guy's full of crap. But I think he told me, if I understood him correctly, they had the first cargo plane in Puerto Rico with hurricane relief supplies, like before the government, before anybody. Like that's how big some of their projects are. And other projects are just, you know, handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or flowers at old folks' homes and he uh he has tattooed on himself keep smiling and he's like it just starts with a smile man so i've uh been very lucky to connect with that dude but i don't think there's any accidents i think i was supposed to meet him i think i'm supposed to meet you and uh i'm just trying to get out of the way and let good people connect with each other you know yeah just like how people are so skeptical of you smiling at someone or like yeah. you, like the guy sitting down to be nice to me. Yep. And you mentioned these people in your life who have the means to give are like, well, yeah. I don't know about charities. Like could be 80% of it's going to administration or whatever. Yeah, that's sad. But that's a legitimate fear, not fear, but that's a concern. No, like, I have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, dude, that's not cool. It's not cool that you're dry. You, you know, you guys expense 
five-star hotels and Michelin restaurants and have mahogany desks when the people that need the money aren't getting the money. And I think not just with, with everything, it's like there's so much to go around. Let's just get it to the people that need it. And like so small little beacons, like local beacons like you, that's the way. I think that's like, like if we, you know, if people are just popping up, if anyone listening to this is just like, I am going to go find yeah, dude. something that needs me and then I'm going to hit everybody up. Yeah, everybody yeah. out there and, and like just go through your phone. You probably know so many people that could change your world dramatic. Like, dude, I had uh, a kid come out of the hospital and um, he was going to need special medical equipment and they needed an electrician to, so their house didn't burn down. Social media is amazing. Like, whenever I feel like just deleting all my social media accounts because I think it's there to divide and conquer and make us miserable and envy other people and stuff like that. As soon as I have those thoughts, I'm like, I need an electrician to go to this house so that we can hook up a respirator and it's not going to blow the power. We had an electrician at this house, like, within <laughs> six hours. Like, it's amazing. So many people are out there ready to help that can help. Just get involved. Take it one baby step at a time. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, there's so many people that want to help. And they're like, well, I don't know how to do anything. I just play the tuba. There might be some kids somewhere going, I want to learn how to play the tuba. Whatever you have, whatever gifts are inside of you, the world needs them. For sure. One of your big things that I hit on instantly from the first text I sent you uh -huh. was about connection. About yes. how I think you, that's everything. You man. love connection to other humans. Yep. And like your your comedy is very much about, you know, kind of bringing out these things we have in common and yeah. things we felt as children and yes. almost that sense of wonder you had as, yes. a, as a kid. Yes. And I have a totally different way I'm looking at the world right now. And so I thought we could. Yeah, let's talk. Let's about talk it. about it. Because I had a totally different way of looking at the world. I felt like for a while I was. I mean, and it's always like the people who think they're a nice guy that are really like not. Yeah. But okay. I felt like I am such a good friend. I give so much to all these relationships and they never reciprocate the way I want them to. Yep. Um, I, uh, I was, uh, selling weed yeah. as a fresh 18 year old. And, uh, had I been like, it had it been a week before I would have been fine, but I got busted and I thought I had all the friends in the world uh, but no one picked up the phone. Nope. And uh, my definition of friend shifted from that moment on where it's like, you don't have a hundred friends. You have like five, yeah. you know, and uh, you have five people. If you're lucky, if you're a good For person sure. who will pick up the phone at 3 a.m. to bail you out of jail or figure it out. Yep. If you have one, you're lucky. Yeah. And so I have like these like friends and then I have like these acquaintances that I love. Yeah. But I feel like your view is so much less jaded than mine. Mm -hmm. It's it's inspiring in a way. Well, uh, how can I, I want to I don't know how far to backtrack this. OK, <laughs> I used to some of my comedy when I, when I was at my darkest point, my comedy was a all about uh, blowing my brains out on stage and how I thought that would be the funniest thing ever. People love that. Yeah. I love that. And uh, I talked about, like, and it was like an in-depth bit. It was dark. Uh, there Who's the, Will Rogers was famous for saying he never met a man he didn't like. And then I was like, maybe my catchphrase will be, I've never met a man I didn't want to punch in the face. I was in a place where I really thought I was the only one trying. I was so focused on myself that I was sharing a Section 8 one-bedroom apartment with uh, my buddy who had cerebral palsy, okay? And I would get into actual debates with my friend Stevie. This is how self-absorbed I was, how selfish I was. <laughs> I was trying to convince my friend with cerebral palsy that my life was worse than his. Oh, fuck. God. And you want to hear the story? I, I've told this story once on a podcast years ago, and it's a true story. Okay. So Stevie and I were very good friends, and like good friends, we would argue. And um, this was 
I moved in with him after my I had completed my first year of Los Angeles. Things progressively got worse for me, okay? So uh, I wound up losing my car. I couldn't afford to get it fixed after I spent all my money to get it fixed. It broke down again. And then my friend Stevie was kind enough to share his apartment with me. It was a one-bedroom apartment. He had a discounted rent of $250 because he was on Section 8 because he had cerebral palsy. So Stevie took the living room. I took the bedroom. And uh, I would walk to the comedy store the two, two and a half miles or take a bus. And uh, we would fight a lot, you know, because neither of us was happy. And one night we're having an argument, literally arguing over who hates their life more. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> and then th- this is when Hollywood was not neighborhood. Okay. Could it have been firecrackers? Sure. Do I think it was the sound of automatic gunfire? Absolutely. Did I did I see what I thought were muzzle flashes on the side of an apartment? Because it was a bad neighborhood, okay? And they were pop, 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 pop. So um, Steve and I are having this argument, and I'm still like trying not to, I didn't want to just walk too fast. I'm trying to like gauge my walk. Like I'm trying to argue with this guy and then slow my walk down so he can keep up with me. And I'm like, you don't understand how hard I try to be a good person. You know what I mean? That was my thing. That's how lost I was. Then bullets start to fly and I dive over a car. Okay. And I go, oh my God, Stevie. So I go to get him and he pushes me away. And he looked at me dead in the eyes and he goes, I've tried to kill myself six times and it didn't work. I'm not going to get hit by bullets. (laughs) And I went, Stevie's a gangster. Like he was a gangster too. He wound up kicking me out of the apartment for like a stripper. So Stevie was a straight up gangster, but that was a, that was an eye opener on, I thought I was miserable, but there was somebody that was dealing with real authentic pain. And I'm not proud of that story, but that's how lost I was. That's how um focused on myself. I was. And I I firmly believe this. There's no way you can be happy if you're thinking about you. You have to totally forget yourself. It's the only way. Um, Now, look, I'm painting with a broad brush now. But I believe this. I believe, like, if you want to be honest, yeah, life is very, very difficult. And if you're focused 100% on yourself, you're always going to have something to complain about, something you're not happy about, whatever. But as soon as you start to go, what can I do for somebody else? As soon as you get out of thinking for yourself, you're like, what do I have that somebody else needs? Is it this jacket? I don't need this extra jacket. Can I just go give somebody a jacket? Is it a hug? Can I just give somebody a hug? Is it this half of a sandwich? As soon as you start going... You're focusing on other people's problems. You forget your own. I know this. And yet I had the worst fucking day. And as you say it, it's like. Yeah, but like, that's human. That's, yeah, but dude, here's the other thing. You got to be cool with yourself. That's something that's taken me forever to like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, do you really believe that? And I'm like, dude, just be cool. Be as loving to yourself as you are to others. Because the one thing I'm really having difficulty with is saying no and self-care. That's another thing. Like I, I overextend myself and I'm like, cause it's almost like a dopamine shot. Like you get to go help somebody and it feels so good. You become like an, now I'm addicted to that. You know what I mean? So then you have to step back and go, all right, there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much I can do. And I don't feel guilty. I'm not, I'm still not good at really taking care of myself. But I tell you what, when I turn off my phone and lay in bed and eat ice cream and watch crazy YouTube videos, I'm like, I don't feel bad about it. I used to feel bad about it. But now I'm like, no, this is planting a seed, a relaxation seed. So I can be more loving, kind and giving when I'm fully charged. But right now I got to plug in the iPhone because we're on 1%. Oh, yeah. I need to to figure out that part, too, because the, the itch to give away money needs to yeah, yeah, go yeah, away yeah. for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I need to like build up the war chest a bit <laughs> no more 20 dollar tips for like i don't know a week i'll pay i'll i'll figure it out 20 percent's more than kind i know i know but it, it was just it needed to happen it, it that part this past month or whatever it needed to happen but i'm just remembering now what a fucking asshole i was today all my problems were a tiny yeah like compared to real illness yeah uh or real 
anything. They were so fucking small. And it was all me. Yes. And it's like, always us. I intellectually know my problems are small. But yep. somehow I, I just woke up so self-absorbed. Uh, my podcast isn't good. I, you know, <laughs> Dude, I, isn't you it know. amazing how like the devil will trick us into all the ways to be miserable? Yeah. The littlest things, little, 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 little trains of thought. And then you're like, next thing you know, you're like, why even try? I'm not going to get out of bed today. <sighs> I honestly, I feel a different vibe off of you right now, though. I think you're like, yeah, I was an idiot today. But that's okay because we're human beings too. Uh, I, feel, I feel like a bunch of weight. Yeah, dude. This, my, yeah. this, all, this yeah. is the point in the podcast where I go, and I don't know how long it takes, but then you feel it and you're like, yeah. okay, now we're just hanging out. So back to the relationship side of things. Yes. Every single relationship could end horribly. Yeah. You could get really screwed over or, or something. Yes. But so you have that, those friends who are family and they'll pick yep. up the phone for you at, at 3 a.m. Yeah. But just having the other connections in your life, I feel like that's where I'm struggling. At this point in time, I'm struggling to appreciate them, even though they're not, they may not be permanent. The only thing that matters is right now. Like now, now, this is all there is. Like everything else is an illusion. And to just put yourself in the moment, like that's the greatest thing about stand-up comedy. That's the life lesson I took from stand-up comedy. Because I really wanted to be a writer. I still love writing. Writing's awesome. But writing is the easiest thing in the world to blow off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like I'd be like, for years, I'd be like, and I would just love to tell people my ideas. And they were like, yeah, write it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. And I never did it. But with stand-up, they say your name and you got to go out there. So I learned how, like, the the power of the moment by being on stage, you're like, you can't think about what you're going to say next or what you just said. You just have to trust that that audience is going to meet you and connect with you. And it when it works, man, it's time traveling. That little light comes on and you go, I've been on stage for 13 minutes. I got to wrap this up now. Whoa, that was awesome. And take that and apply that to life. Like... I was so fearful of real romantic relationships because I, number one, didn't feel good enough. And then the women in Los Angeles would remind me that I wasn't good enough <laughs> on a consistent basis. <laughs> They'd be like, no. But, uh, but then also getting hurt, right? Like it's that whole fear thing. And you got to, you have to, and I, I'm saying this out loud for me to hear it. I don't want people listening going like, this guy's a dick. He thinks he, I don't know anything, but. I believe that like you just, sometimes you just have to trust, but I think your heart will let you know when it's the right time to trust. Yeah. Dating is horrible. It's horrible. I went to a Korean barbecue place last night. Oh, I love Korean barbecue. They wouldn't let me in. I went to three and they're like, this is a, a two person minimum. And I'm like, oh. Uh. You are if just... you couldn't feel any lonelier at the holidays. <laughs> yeah. I, dude, I had Christmas dinner once at the Burger King at La Brea and Sunset. That was the worst. And so, Nobody made eye contact. I finally got a place to take me in. And uh, yeah, they were just looking at me like, you really want to sit at one of the barbecue tables? I like, like the fun yeah. stuff too. Yeah, this is a four-person booth. Oh. We'll give it to you, but yeah, Wow. You were telling me before we recorded, I wish I, I had recorded earlier. I wish mm. I had just snuck it on you. You know what? That's sort of like what I just hit record and just start talking. Yeah. And then just let it happen. You weren't always a comedian. No. You weren't like some 12-year-old like, I'm going to be the next comedian. I wanted to. I loved comedy. Yeah. And I think in my house, uh, for it's interesting because I'll talk a lot about childhood on stage. And I don't want people to think that my childhood was perfect or great. But I'll say this, my perspective on it now is perfect and great. Like everybody goes through sad stuff in life, man, because that's what life is. But if you can laugh, laughter is a gift. It's, I never thought there was anything special about making somebody laugh. I never thought it was a talent because in my house, we were the funny family. There was a lot of laughter, a lot of tears, a lot of everything. But I grew up such a fan of comedy. Like I was fascinated with cartoons as a little kid. I remember 
being three years old, and it's just so funny to say this, as we're in the basement underneath the stage that made Richard Pryor famous. I remember being two or three years old and my parents dropping me and my brothers off at my grandmother's house because my dad was given tickets to go see Richard Pryor, okay? And I was a two or three year old kid and I remember going, I wish I could go with them. And my older brother must, if I was two, he was five. If I was three, he was six. And I remember him asking my parents how it was and what jokes he did. Like that's from childhood. It was comedy, comedy, comedy. Like that's how we all connected with each other. We would sit in front of the TV and watch HBO comedy specials. We would, uh, like by the time I was in high school, I devoured stand-up comedy like a normal kid does music. And I read everything about comedians and I never thought, I always thought I needed permission to do it. And uh, I guess in a sense, I'm so grateful that my life got so bad that I felt like, well, I don't have anything to lose at this point. I'm going to go for it. Square One's a beautiful place to start. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Rock Bottom's awesome. Yeah. When I meet uh, people whose their life is just completely melted down, I'm like, wow. Congratulations. You have a blank canvas. Yep. Holy cow. And so, okay. So... I'm missing that that moment. When did you give yourself permission? Okay, this is what happened. I'll walk you through my journey. I always, did you not know what you were going into? <laughs> did you not know? That's how why ho- it took forever. That's why yeah. I didn't make the decision. Knew. I knew because I studied it. Like I would read about um, comedians, like you know, like that, like you'd read about the life of Rembrandt. You know what I mean? Like I respected the art form that much. Where I, I remember going, well, there's no way I could pay dues like that. I'm just not built for it. I was a good student. I hated school as a kid. And then I found out as an adult that I was dyslexic. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I put so much pressure on myself as like a six-year-old kid to do well, to make my parents happy, to somehow justify the love they gave me. Like, I always felt that love came with a, uh, a return receipt. That there was a burden to it. Like I felt unworthy, I guess, in a lot of ways. Like, oh, don't love me anymore because how am I ever going to repay this? And that that was a reflection of my relationship with God. Are you a God guy? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, huge. And But then I realized like God is love. And he like as soon as that really kicked in, and I'm like, I don't have to earn this. This just is what it is. It's all love. That's when I really tapped into giving and kindness and being happy and positive. But um senior year in college I'm like what am I going to do with my life and I had an academic advisor and she was like you're a great student uh like I was in honor societies and stuff and she was like I just don't know what you're going to do she was like as your advisor she was like I don't see you in a cubicle she was like and I think uh you would have some issues with being a salesman you're too honest and I'm like yeah I don't know what I'm going to do so I made a promise to God even then that if I got this one job I would do an open mic and I did a couple open mics and I was awesome. Like right out of the gate, I did 20 minutes on stage, my first time ever on stage. And the owner of the club was like, yeah, that doesn't just happen. But I knew nothing about the craft of stand-up comedy. And I'd done it like five or six times and they stopped doing open mics and then I moved out of Baltimore. Then a couple years later, I had uh, been working at Corporate America and I'm like, this is terrible. Let me, and I, there was no comedy at the time. It was the late 90s and stand-up comedy was dead because uh, it's a very cyclical thing. And I'd gone to a bar where they would let me do comedy. I took the train up to New York a couple times. And I'd probably been on stage like 15 times before I moved to L.A. And what had happened was uh, I was working my dream job. I went from dropping out of corporate America, living with my parents – and trying to figure out what the next step was. So I wound up interning for free. I didn't know anybody. I thought I was so cynical and jaded. I'm like, you have to know somebody to get anything. in the... And uh, I was going through the free weekly paper and my mom was like breaking my balls. She was like, well, did you find anything in the paper? I'm like, mom, there's not gonna be any good jobs in the paper. I'm like, look at this one. Intern, Philadelphia Eagles, entertainment division, no experience. Now. And I'm like, oh, what do you think that is? 
She was like, it's probably the football team. I'm like, mom, I tried for three years to get a job in professional sports. The football team's just not going to put an ad in the back of the paper, in the free weekly paper. And I called the number and uh, it was an internship for the cheerleaders and the mascot of the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm like, what? There was no money at, at all, but I had saved up some money from working a job I hated, selling car insurance over the phone. It was atrocious. So uh, I was living with my parents. I went down for the interview. And normally I would waste four days trying to craft the perfect cover letter. But this time I didn't even, I just wrote a cover letter by hand on a fax sheet back when fax machines were a thing. Fax it down. The head of the cheerleaders calls me. She was like, will you work for free? I'm like, yes. And then stayed there until they started to pay me. And then I loved that job and I loved the people I worked with. And as a sports fan, it was awesome. But then um, I was like 27 at the time. All my friends were getting married. I never could find a girl that liked me for anything more than a friend. Uh, when a girl I really liked was like, no, I don't like you like that. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna leave then. And I was like, I was so hurt. And so like, I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life. And I was like, you know what? I think I have a better chance of becoming rich and famous than finding a girl that wants to be treated like a friend. Like I was like, well, I was like the Lord of the Rings. The joke I wrote, hardest I ever made somebody laugh was uh, there was a guy who was in love with this woman who saw him as just as a friend. And he's letting this chick stay at his house for free. And like, we're just partying with these strangers and we could see we're doing comedy on the road. We could see that like he's heartbroken because she's hooking up with somebody and then he's a nerd and he's talking to my nerd friend and they're talking about the greatest trilogy of all time. Is it Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? And they're like, Steve, you have to, you have to break the tie. What's the greatest fantasy movie of all time? And I was like, it's when Harry met Sally because that movie made me really believe you could treat a woman like a friend and she would have romantic interest in you. The guy started to laugh so hard he almost crashed the car. But that's where I was in my life. I couldn't connect with anybody. Uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to move to L.A. And I didn't know anybody. I had no credit cards. Uh, I, I Nothing. The only thing I had was I had entered a stand-up comedy contest in Philly. Pauly Shore hosted it. And Pauly was like, you should be at the comedy store. I'm like, what? I wound up winning the contest and Pauly wrote, his road manager wrote down his cell phone number. He's like, if you ever make it to LA, give us a call. And I uh, had already quit my job. I was already moving here. And then I had about $1,500, no credit card, no apartment, no job and a car with 130,000 miles on it and just drove. It was the cr craziest thing I've ever done. Crazy. And then Paulie got me a job to throw as a, I was working 12 hours a day on the set of his movie for 50 bucks, taking out the trash, carrying couches. And he was like, dude, you're working. He was like, I'm gonna get you a job at the comedy store. So I started answering phones here. Uh, when I still had a car, I was delivering. I had a job delivering pizza in LA within two days. I Because I had no money. Yeah, you had to. I had to. <laughs> you weren't picky. No. Yeah. So, and then I was like, okay, I can, I'm working at a pizza place. Uh, I'm going to eat every day. I'm getting tipped as a delivery driver. I'm going to be able to eat tonight. Like, it was literally years of hand to mouth. And somehow, somehow, I'm still here. That's amazing. I, when I know, when I meet somebody that is doing what they are here to do, yeah. and my only question is, are you paying rent yet? Yeah. And when you get a few of them that are like, just barely, yeah. it's like, dude. It's the best. That is incredible. Yeah. Like, if you can just, because that's, that's it. It's that's like, everything. you're a comic. There's no retirement. Yep. You know, there's no retirement plan. I mean, unless you yep. set one up, but yeah, it's, it's scary. It's terrifying. But you stay in the moment and you're like, this is, it, it always takes care of itself, but, man. And there's, there's a lot of people who I think really for a good reason kind of feel like not encouraging people to follow that childhood. You have to, the, I, I think we're born. This is how much I love life and how much I believe in God. We're all here for a reason. 
we need each other. And whatever that is, but one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever heard was from a guy that uh, he was in his 80s and he's one of the most brilliant accomplished. He was almost like X-Men. Like the type, he was in his 80s and he was still running marathons. The type of guy that had patents and ran, he was the CEO of companies and was like one of the most enlightened, compassionate, kind, giving everything away type people like, oh, a superhero. And uh, he gave his granddaughter advice and it was, whatever you feel called to do, and if you don't do it, it won't get done. That's what you must do. Yeah. And I think that's inside of all of us. And I think when you go after your dream, that doesn't mean like how many kids are listening to this and are like, I want to be a rapper. Okay, well, go after that. And who knows? You might wind up becoming the most incredible accountant to, to, to rappers there is. You can still be in it. You know what I mean? Follow that bliss and see where it takes you. It's not, it's, it's evolving. I yes. Mean, you, yeah. Exactly. You have to leave room for it. I, that's the word. It my, is evolving. Yep. My uh, Uber driver, you know, he said like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about getting back into school. I'm like, what are you gonna study? Yep. And he's like, accounting. And awesome. I, and I was like, why? And he's like, I just love numbers. See what I mean? There yeah. are people out there like that. Like there, yeah, there are people that are meant to do yes. the jobs that we might think are boring. Yes. And he was like, I just love numbers. They make sense. They're comfortable. I wake up and that's what I want to do. I want to crunch numbers. And I was like, you need to sign up for next semester immediately now, dude. And thank God for gigs like Uber. Where there's no excuses now, man. You can go make sure your bills are paid. It's changed. While you're following your dream. No, I've known a lot of people that found good moonlighting jobs. And so I'm not going to, I don't tell people just, yeah, quit your job. Go right. for your dream. But what I will tell anyone who feels sick inside because they're not following yeah. that thing inside of them. When you have that Sunday night nausea because you're like, tomorrow morning's Monday and I can't do it again. Go ahead. If you get to the point to where you're more afraid of regret than being poor and being comfortable, go for it. Yeah, and I'll say this: uh, being poor is not that bad. No, no, it's, it's really not. not that bad. Um, it's weird what our society puts focus on, right? We're so materialistic, and that stuff doesn't—that's guaranteed misery. You know, things don't make you happy. People make you happy. Relationships, connection, laughter. And the best stuff in life is like not that expensive. Like big things, roof over your head, I get it. Transportation, I get it. But dude, I lived in LA for six years without a car. You know, I shared a one bedroom apartment with other dudes. One guy was a recently divorced ex Elvis impersonator. I paid my dues. As long as I had enough money for a slice of pizza and ice cream every once in a while, you're good, dude, you're gonna get by because that joy of being the person you wanna be is greater than any material comfort. Yeah, I, I have less money than I've ever had. Probably happier than you've ever been. And I wake up every day and I look forward to exhausting myself with this. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Like, I don't love every part of it. I don't like trying to balance the, the Hello Humans budget. Yeah. But just taking it a little bit further, even though there involves a ton of stuff I don't wanna do. Yeah is incredible and it is an honor to have so little money but continue to get to do it isn't it amazing yeah i Where am you go like i get to do this this is still happening yeah this is still happening and it only it only stops when i stop yep. or or when like we talked about it it evolves into something else yeah which is totally okay too you don't so you've been really generous with your time dude this has been incredible one of my favorite things in life is making friends, and I feel like I made a friend, so thank you. Oh, thank you. So to take us out, this is How to Human. If you could talk to that younger version of yourself in the dark place, yeah, or somebody who's really lost right now, and like you know, their whole way of operating has just shattered, they're at square one, like yeah. we talked about. What's just your, your quick little direction? Trust and love. Love is real. Love is the most powerful force in the world. And nobody has to earn it. You don't need to be perfect to be loved. So you have a choice now, human. You can go on living your life the way you normally do, or you can honor your destiny and be the hero this world needs.
even if it's just being a regular hero. So how about this? Join me and until the next podcast episode, see what it's like to be a hero. Like any good superhero, be vigilant. Look for where the world needs you. And whatever you want, just like Steve said, give it away. You want love? Give them away. You want money? Give it away. You want kindness? Give it away. My favorite part about this episode was it really got me thinking about creative ways I can give with what I have now. And so what I'm thinking, if you want some ideas, my superpower could be make sure the guy on the corner always has breakfast. And so I could cook an extra egg every morning for him. Or make sure all my servers know how much I appreciate them. Okay, whoa, before you go, I'm assuming since you got this far, you like the program. If that's true, please, please give us a good review on iTunes. You know what? It's not optional. Go give us a good review on iTunes because we need it. Normally, this is where I'd let you know that the program's audience funded and we can't do it without help from our audience. I mean, we need more help. But if you are in the giving mood, you can go check out Regular Hero, which is a nonprofit that Steve works with and where we came up with the title for this program. And I'm totally okay with your money going there. And maybe next time we can win you over. If you still feel like you're in the giving mood after that, then go to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash HelloHuman. That's a website we use to get patrons. And I would love it if you bought me a coffee or a burrito once a month. So, but you can enter any amount you want. You can enter a dollar or four or five. I've put links to all this good stuff, including more of Steve Simone in the show notes, or it's just the description of the podcast. Thank you for listening to How to Human.